Hello again, this is Matthew Sauter, and this is our third episode of the podcast. I'm here with Jonathan again. How's it going? It's going great, Matthew. Hello, everybody. Nice to be talking with y'all again. Yeah, absolutely, and I think this is a, definitely an extremely relevant episode in terms of what we're going to be covering today, and this is pretty much your fourth year of medical school, and it's not quite as clean-cut as a lot of the, the different types of school that you've gone into. A lot of it is the curriculum has been more or less laid out, the classes that you have to take are laid out, and the fourth year of medical school is definitely a lot more nebulous, and with that comes a little bit of stress in terms of it's not something that you've done before, you can make your schedule as you want to, but flip side of that is it's pretty fantastic where you can make your own schedule, uh, you're pretty much only doing rotations that you're particularly interested in, sometimes there's a couple of mandatory rotations depending on what school you're in, but by and large, you're really starting to focus in on what you're interested in when it comes to, to medicine and starting to, to get through the, the stressful time of building up to submitting your resume and your ERAS application to all the different programs, interviews, and, and everything like that. And like I was saying, it's, it's relatively nebulous when it comes to, to fourth year, but unfortunately, fourth year doesn't kind of just roll over as soon as third year is over. The planning for fourth year definitely spills into to third year in a, a fairly significant manner. So even when you're going through all of the, the clerkship rotations, going through your shelf exams, kind of getting ready for step two, uh, at some point I'm sure the student affairs office is going to send everybody an email. And on top of everything that you're doing, then you got to get ready for fourth year. So for me, it was a really exciting time. Like I said, you get to kind of go into the, the specialty that you're particularly interested in. But with that comes the stress of kind of the uncertainty of applying for away rotations, performing on those sub-I away rotations, everything like that. And I think everybody who's gone through the fourth year of medical school understands the, the weight building up to match day, even when you've gone through everything and your hours are much prettier than they were for the past year and a half or so. Just sitting and, and waiting can be stressful there as well. So we just want to kind of go through our experiences with kind of that fourth year planning and third year as well as fourth year and hopefully you can pick up some tips some advice in terms of what we were able to go through and and Jonathan anything else to add to that yeah that was very eloquently stated Matt um so I agree it's fourth year is very much what you make of it um which is an amazing thing but it's a dual-edged sword as well because at first you're like how the heck do I set up my fourth year um, so I think everyone goes through the stress of trying to figure that out. Um, and hopefully we can provide you some pointers to help get make that a smoother process and really just help enrich your learning and, and get the, the rotations that you want. Um, because, yeah, it's it's very much you you got to apply to these. Like I, it was so different than what I was used to throughout medical school and pretty much all of my schooling prior to that. Um, where you're essentially kind of told what you need to do and then you do it. Um, but the beauty of this was you really get to think about all these different factors about where you want to rotate, um, where, if you want to get exposure to certain settings um, or different locations, you know. So, I mean, there's a lot to think about, um, and hopefully we can help you guys navigate that a little bit easier today. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're definitely on the same page when it comes to, to fourth year, when it comes to both the excitement as well as the the anxiety in terms of getting everything rolling there as well. And I think Jonathan and I were in a fairly unique position when it came to, to fourth year. Uh, 
our, our program for medical school doesn't necessarily have a lot of home programs when it comes to residency. There's certainly hospitals that we rotate at in, in third year that have residency programs, but it's not as comprehensive as, say, a large academic institution. So that's definitely something that we had to deal with, and I think we kind of approach things in a pretty different way, and I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit. But as mentioned, I was applying for orthopedic surgery, and we really didn't have a home orthopedic surgery program associated with our school. However, fortunately, we definitely had a, a lot of different programs within the area in South Florida. There's a very good number of orthopedic programs that are that are very nearby that we could get involved with for any students interested in that particular area. But there is something nice about if you go to a large school, you kind of integrate it exactly within their specific residency program from third year going into fourth year. And I think Jonathan was pretty fortunate in terms of he was able to, to kind of match up perfectly with where he was doing in his third and fourth year. Whereas for myself, I ended up doing a lot of different traveling, meeting a lot of new people, which was a phenomenal experience and definitely something I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. But there was definitely a lot that went into it. So that was definitely something that was really critical in terms of kind of understanding. And I really wish I knew that going into medical school in terms of just how convenient and how nice it is and how good it is for your development to have those people kind of right in-house when it comes to, to having a program associated with your school. So with that said, just kind of want to outline some of the different things that we're going to be talking about in this episode when it comes to, to third year. I think we talked a little bit in the last episode about competitiveness, so I think we'll just touch on that a little bit and kind of throughout the entire episode. But one thing we're going to hit on is just the important dates in, in third slash fourth year, really fourth year planning and fourth year. Uh, some helpful websites that we're able to use, um, the process of applying to away rotations, getting those auditions, the sub-eyes, kind of all these terms are, are used interchangeably and some specialties prefer specific terms versus others. Uh, just performing on those away rotations because they definitely have different expectations of you from kind of M3 going into M4 and you definitely want to put a, a good face forward for the program, get to know them and for them to have a really good impression of you and also when you're going through making sure you're getting an understanding of what the program is all about and seeing if it genuinely is a good fit. I think a lot of medical students really have high aspirations of where they want to go for residency and sometimes there's a propensity or a tendency to kind of mold yourself around the residency and say, you know what, I can kind of adapt to this. But for some people, you can't, they can't do that. Maybe you could do that for a month, two months. But if you're going to be at that program for three years, all the way up to seven years for some specialties, it's definitely something that you want to pay attention to. Because if you're not being yourself and you're trying to force yourself to fit in, it's going to be a real, real challenge to do that for a full seven years. So we'll talk about performing on those away rotations uh, we'll talk about getting some letters of recommendation in fourth year, and that's definitely something stressful and making sure you're, you're asking in an appropriate manner and making sure that you feel confident that when you are asking for those letters, it's going to be a strong letter of recommendation. We'll talk a little bit about kind of supplemental applications. I think this may be changing in the years to come, but we'll talk about our experience with that. And then we'll kind of talk about the ERAS application, and then kind of all the way up to interview scheduling. We might touch on that and uh, for our very last episode, we'll talk more about interviewing and kind of making sure you're finding that that ideal fit when it comes to a residency. I think with that said, I think just general statements in terms of making sure you're applying for when you're applying to residency, I think just having a good idea of the breakdown of how programs go about selecting specific students to for their residency. So 
I know for orthopedic surgery, about 60% of students are going to end up matching either at their home program or at a program that they did an away rotation at. And unfortunately, I don't have the data for all the different specialties. And I think this podcast episode, unlike some of the other ones, might kind of lean a little bit more specifically into the, the specialty areas that we're going into, namely orthopedics as well as psychiatry. But we'll try our very best to kind of come up with some general themes that are true regardless of what specialty you're interested in applying. So I kind of mentioned that, Jonathan, that we had the 60% for ortho kind of going into their home program or where they did a ways. Mm-hmm. You applied psychiatry. Do you think that's kind of a similar number? Obviously, I don't think we have the number on hand right mm-hmm. now, but what are your kind of thoughts of that for psychiatry? Yeah, um, definitely make a great point. I mean, having a home program, being able to really establish who you are, spending time with them, I mean, it can make or break your your application and where you match. Um, so with my personal experience, um, I was lucky enough to match at the program that I did my core psychiatry rotation at. Um, I also did an additional audition with them in my fourth year because I knew they were going to be my top choice from my original exposure to the program um, and, and a lot of other factors. Um, but so really just having a home program, it, it's, you know, it's one thing for, for a program to look at your application see everything and then have a interview that lasts a few hours. Um, but really being able to, to be there and have them know you over time, especially your home program that can see your growth over a period, you know, and just get to know you as a person and how well you would fit with their program. You know, I mean, cultural fit is such a giant factor in what program directors consider um, when they're making their rank list. So, and it's something that you should strongly consider when you're ranking programs as well. Um, so, so that home institution, really getting to see that long-term exposure, um, it, it really just makes it more of a sure thing. And you can know you have, you can be more confident in your impression of the program. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think regardless of the number, I think it's more or less just human nature. When you've actually seen somebody work for, over the course of a month, you've seen them interact with the team. Uh, you kind of see how they would fit within the program. I think residency uh, program directors are much more comfortable if a student performs really well during their audition rotation. They're more comfortable ranking that student highly than somebody that made an impression, although it could be great during an interview. And we're going to touch on interviewing in the later episode, but there's the virtual component to interviews. Some are in person now, but if you actually do get that full solid month in front of the team kind of showing your knowledge, showing your eagerness to learn within the the medical field that you're applying to and kind of just making sure you're putting your best foot forward every single day. That definitely definitely goes a long way. So I think kind of the key take-home point from this is away rotations, sub-eyes, audition rotations, whatever you want to call them, they're they're absolutely critical. And I think you really have to spend the time making sure that you are selecting those rotations in a very thoughtful and a very strategic manner in terms of making the most out of them because like I said, everybody's time is, is limited when it comes to fourth year, and you, you're selecting one rotation at the expense of another. So you want to make sure that you're picking a place that you think is going to be a great fit for you, that you think is a place that you're competitive for and could definitely perform at a high level there. So I think that's one of the, the key take-homes there is definitely don't underestimate kind of the whole process of going about picking picking those rotations because they do have a tremendous impact of where you could end up for the next three to seven years of your life. I think another thing that we wanted to really touch on is just understanding the match rate. So we talked a lot about the NRMP charting outcomes of the match in our previous episode where it's just 
giant high-level data kind of by year, by specialty, and what the actual statistics are for people that matched into that specialty. And for orthopedic surgery myself, I was looking specifically of a subset of, of medical applicants that were MD seniors. So there's definitely different ways to stratify the people that are applying for residency. So there's MD seniors, which is you've gone through your medical school career, you haven't graduated yet, and you're applying for your first time when it comes to, to residency. Um, those includes people that took a research year, so it doesn't necessarily mean the four years, but it's kind of your first shot through when it comes to actually applying for residency. Uh, there's another subcategory, which would be MD graduates. So those would people that uh, graduated a previous year and are applying most often going to be for a second time for looking for a specific specialty. Uh, and then similar categories when it comes to DOs in terms of DO seniors, DO graduates, as well as international medical graduates as well. And then there's some U.S.-based kind of foreign medical graduates as well, where they kind of subcategorize everybody within this data. And I think it's worth taking a look. Again, it's not going to make or break kind of what your strategy is, but it definitely is a very good idea to have an idea of what the match rate is going to be for your specific specialty. So for some where it's internal medicine, family medicine, pediatrics, uh, definitely has some higher match rates compared to some other specialties. So in terms of kind of considering parallel plans and different options that we were speaking to previously, uh, it would be less likely to need those for some specialties like that. Whereas for orthopedic surgery, I was looking at that the MD senior match rate in 2022, and the MD senior match rate was about 65%. So that means of all the MD seniors that graduated and applied for orthopedic surgery, well, 35% didn't get the specialty that they were applying for in orthopedics. So that doesn't mean they did not get a residency because there's different processes after the fact, whether they were soaked into a different specialty, soaked into a, a different uh, area for a particular year, or they completely pivoted away from orthopedic surgery. Uh, in addition, uh, you just have to consider those people that also had the parallel plans too. So again, this is high level data, but when you see that 35% of people applying for a specialty didn't necessarily match, it's something where you want to be aware of that. And you want to be very reflective in terms of how competitive you are because you put so much time and effort into medical school, your first, your second year, your third year in the hospital, you're working really hard and it can definitely be devastating when you put in all this hard work, you've built your resume, you've reached out, you've done everything within your power to, to try to make sure you're in a position to match to a particular specialty. But the fact of the matter is, I think Jonathan quoted the, the one VP pretty eloquently, that just there's a mismatch in terms of interest of medical students with a number of residency spots available. So just being aware of that when you're applying is is a really critical idea. Jonathan, I'd be curious what your your kind of imp your impression and your experience was to kind of look in some of this data for psychiatry. 100%. Um, thank you so much. And yeah, you know, I mean, as clinicians or future clinicians, um, everything we do is basically driven by evidence and, and data, essentially, you know, so it's a very important factor um, when you're looking at p different potential, like, specialties, different programs to look at. I mean, there, there's a lot of stuff to consider. Um, and a big, big thing, I mean, we already mentioned just kind of looking at how competitive it is, you know, but I mean, just think about how many positions there are per year for, for interns in different in different specialties and so so that that kind of like lends to what's going to be really competitive like obviously internal medicine has the vast majority of seats so it's not going to be quite as competitive so then yeah you, you might not need a parallel or backup plan 
um, when you're considering that, you know? So, I mean, it's, there, there is definitely a lot to look at. Um, and I thought, Matt, you made an excellent point when you made, you emphasize the fact that they break down this data, they look at it overall, but then they look at it by different demographics as far as if you're a USMD senior versus DO versus an IMG, you know, I mean, that is very, very pivotal to think about and look at your specific circumstances so that way you can be realistic on when you're finding programs and, and if you think you can realistically match in it. Um, another thing relating to that as well, um, which I think we'll touch on more, but um, when I was looking at programs, I noticed some had significantly different trends of who they're accepting. You know, so so keep that in mind. Like some programs are very USMD heavy. Some prefer DOs, while some accept a lot of IMGs. And uh, so you know, you want to consider all these different factors when you're making these very important decisions. Absolutely. In terms of the MD DO distinction, there's still some kind of separation between the two. They've integrated the application system, so it's just one similar application for for all of the different medical students applying, but. There are historical DO programs, and I find that's more the case for, for DO programs than MD programs, that there are historical DO programs that continue to preference DO students over MD students. And I think on the flip side, I still think, for whatever reason, the MD programs still, not necessarily their MD programs, but a lot of programs still have a preference for MD. And I can see that changing over time to kind of being more and more just homogenous, and it's really not a huge factor that people look at. but my impression, I don't know how correct it is or not, but I still feel like, at least for some institutions, there still is a preference for MD as opposed to DO. Jonathan, mm -hmm. do you kind of agree with that, or what were your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, thank you very much for bringing that up, because it's an excellent point. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's definitely, they're they're merging the two. I mean, the, the at the end of the day, we're all learning the same material, and there is such a need for physicians. It makes sense that MDs and DOs are we just get the same training and we go and serve the, the country as a whole, honestly. But, um, but yeah, I, I do think there is still something to be said about looking at the track record of the program. Um, of course, that, that kind of, I don't know if you would want to call it a stigma, but whatever that is where people would mentally, the old school way of thinking where maybe there's a difference between the two, um, it's that, that kind of stigma, stigma, so to say, um, is definitely going away. Um, but it's it's definitely a still still a realistic thing that you should consider and look at different track records and programs to know what you're getting into and what to expect. Yeah, absolutely. So we kind of touched on the importance of understanding that you're doing these sub IOA rotations and they're definitely critical. Kind of just understanding some of the data in terms of what specialty you're applying to. And one other general statement that I kind of just wanted to hit on before we go to some of the, just the dates and the timing of, of fourth year is just kind of understanding if there's any trends just overall within the field that you're applying to. I know for orthopedic surgery, in the past, it's largely been more dominated by males, and there's been definitely a conscious effort in terms of increasing the representation of women within the specialty and also underrepresented minorities. And there's definitely been some, some data and some research that's been coming out about kind of the importance of that within the field of orthopedics. So really just understanding these trends that base, maybe historically one specialty has leaned one way as opposed to the other, or there's been kind of a specific makeup of people that are, are typical for that specialty, but a lot of them are, are starting to evolve and kind of represent a lot more different people. And 
I know that's definitely the case for orthopedics. Jonathan, is there anything for psychiatry or any other specialties that you applied to that you kind of think would be similar to this? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think it's a great thing that basically medicine as a whole is, is starting to trend towards trying to get equal representation for all people. Um, and one of the most beautiful things about that is it doesn't mean that a white male doesn't have a chance. It's just giving everyone a fair chance. Um, so it's, I, it's, a, it's a great thing. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, I don't have specific numbers on every specialty. That would just take too long and bore the whole, <laughs> the whole audience here. Um, but it's, it's definitely a trend and it's, it's for the better. So it's a great thing. Yeah. So I think just as an applicant kind of understanding if there's any push within a particular specialty that you're interested in or any kind of just large themes that they're kind of going to one way or another, just be aware of them. Again, you're your own unique applicant in terms of applying. You have your strengths, you have your weaknesses, but kind of just understanding kind of all the trends around you. Like I said, it doesn't necessarily affect what you're going to do, but it can definitely give you a kind of a more holistic view in terms of kind of what you're applying to and kind of what to expect throughout the entire process. So I think with that, it's really, we're going to transition a little bit to just some of the, the important dates to have in mind when it comes to, to fourth year. And as we alluded to earlier, definitely fourth year starts in third year. So I think we're going to be starting there. So in terms of your third year, you're going through all of your different clerkships. you got shelf exam studying going on. Uh, you kind of probably have step two in the back of your mind in terms of maybe you're kind of starting to gear up for that because you know it's it's looming on the horizon a little bit. But in your third year, typically around January to May, January may be a little bit earlier, but I know it's kind of as early as February, Vizlo opens. And in terms of what Vizlo is, it's just a centralized application system for applying for away rotations for medical students. So it's not necessarily standardized, similar to your kind of traditional residency application. It's very much a program-specific application site. So different hospitals, different residency programs post on there at very different times during the year. And a lot of that kind of just involves the bureaucracy of their particular residency or if their medical school has specific kind of requirements and regulations in terms of when they go about posting. But regardless, in and around January, February of your third year, you're going to get a token usually through your school where you're going to be able to log in to Vizlo and you're going to start seeing programs populate. Uh, definitely don't worry when you first open it up. Oftentimes, there's still remnants from the year before. You did not miss the boat on the applications if you're getting started that early in January and February. They just haven't updated the entire website yet, but definitely something to, to keep in mind when you're logging in there. And like I said, definitely some, some different timing. Jonathan, you want to add something? Yeah, um, I will say, so VSLO, when you're first looking at it, can be overwhelming. Um, there's just so much to look at. You're like, where do I even want to apply? What do I need to apply? There's, there's so many different factors. Um, so I would just recommend starting that early. Um, between people in our cohort, uh, the people who started earlier, they had a lot more success in getting the rotations that they wanted. Um, they didn't have any last minute, oops, I accidentally needed this requirement and missed it. So just definitely like bite the bullet, so to speak, get on VSLOW as soon as like in the early part of the year um, and just try to start figuring it out. It, it starts to clear itself up as you, you keep going and you could always ask for help if needed. Yeah, absolutely. VSLOW can be a little bit of a monster of a website in terms <laughs> of kind of just navigating it and there's just a certain amount of stress that kind of goes to it. It feels like you're finally making a, a huge next step and 
there's definitely that uncertainty in terms of you apply there and then you're kind of just in that waiting period and am I going to get accepted here? Am I not going to get accepted here? And then there's just a balance too that you need to strike because you want to make sure that you're applying to enough programs that you can meet all your requirements for your particular school and fourth year, but you also want to make sure that you're getting to places that you're competitive at. And oftentimes that involves applying for more residency away rotations than you could possibly put into your schedule. But there's definitely uh, a polite way to go about doing that too in terms of if you do get accepted for an away rotation during a particular time period and that's a residency program you're interested in, you accept that particular position, you definitely want to pull your applications for that time period for other programs that you apply to. It's just a common courtesy. You don't want them to go look through your entire application have another program accept you for the exact same month, only for you to say, you know what, actually two months ago, I got accepted during this time period, so I'm not available. So one off, you made the program direct coordinator, whoever was handling for their program, work a lot more. They put a lot of time and effort in terms of reviewing your application, and they thought highly enough to accept you for a position. But you didn't do the common courtesy of saying, you know what, I'm not available during this time. You can pull it for one month, but that doesn't pull your application to that particular residency program for the other months that you applied to. So definitely make sure that you're, you're doing the polite, the professional thing throughout the entire process. So when you do get accepted for a month, pull that away, pull that application for other, other residencies during that time period because you could very well end up at that particular place and you don't want to leave any bad impressions when you're, when you're going about applying. Any other tips for Vizlo, Jonathan? Yeah, um, so so Vizlo is, it's really cool. So just the aspect of if you know there's a program you're super interested in and you really want to get a spot, like do a rotation there. Um, so you you don't, yeah, you don't just have to apply to, to one particular month. I mean, they, they can have like essentially almost the whole year available to you and you can apply to pretty much all of them. And then there's a beautiful um, different way you can rank your preferences on when you want to be able to do that. Um, so, so yeah, it's a beauty of you can, you can just apply far and wide and then pick your choices and then just be courteous and actually um, do make it known if, you're not, if you know you're not going to attend a, a certain rotation that you were accepted for. Um, it's, it's definitely just general courtesy and, and you know that programs appreciate that. And I mean, we're, we're going into a, a very professional thing where you need to be thoughtful and conscientious of others. So just start doing that as, as soon as you can. Absolutely. So to kind of reiterate, more or less January, pretty much February into kind of May, June is when these low is open. You want to start making sure you're preparing different documents for making sure you can send the application. And like I said, it's not necessarily standardized. So different places might want different things for you. But there definitely are some, some core documents that you want to have in line in terms of making sure all your vaccinations are up to date. You have that form filled out. And there's some other ones. So just when you're scrolling through kind of early on, not everything is available to apply yet. Just kind of look at the different forms that you need to have available and start chipping away at them because you don't want your kind of number one choice for residency to pop up and be available and you have to spend a month scrambling to get all those forms in place. So make sure you're very proactive about getting those done. Also keep in mind the fact that I mean, those are the times you should be looking at VSLO, but if you need to pick up a last minute rotation towards the end of your fourth year, VSLO is still has a lot of stuff available. Um, so so it's it's still there, but obviously start planning early, get your schedule set as soon as you can. But there there can be possible last minute things that come up and you can still always check 
Um, I personally found some some really interesting uh, ways at the end of my fourth year because of that. For sure. So definitely keep that in mind when kind of a lot of your focus is going to be on those clerkships, but definitely don't neglect the fact that Vizlo is opening in and around this time. Like I said, January, February, and then kind of May, June is kind of the prime time for, for Vizlo. So make sure you're taking the time to prioritize that because that's really going to set you up to be in an excellent spot in terms of your fourth year. Um, and then I think the second part of kind of important dates for fourth year is kind of deciding when you're going to go about taking step two. And I think everybody has a different approach, a different timeline, and that can be based on kind of specialty. And that can also be based on how comfortable you are with step two in terms of how well you think you're going to do on it and how well you need to do on it based on the specialty that you're interested in. So I know for myself, May was definitely kind of the ideal time. Unfortunately, I know there's some schools that I think you can't even take it until end of June. So obviously you're working within the constraints of your institution and when you're able to do that. But for myself, I coming out of the clerkships, I had my internal medicine clerkship was towards the very end. And I feel like that's the, the bulk of the information that's actually tested when it comes to step two. I felt like I was I was very ready to take it. And again, I'm horrible with acronyms, but we took whatever pre-step two <laughs> test that there was. And I had kind of like a score baseline that was competitive for the specialty that I was interested in. So I figured I could take just a couple of weeks, kind of brush up on everything, and then I would be comfortable taking step two at that point. And I was able to take it in kind of middle of May. And for me, that was really important because at that point, I still had to do kind of my local sub-I and then I was getting ready for all of my away rotations too. And just in terms of the type of person that I am, if I had step two kind of looming over me at that point, I don't think I would have been able to, to perform at as high a level as I kind of expect for myself when it comes to the sub-I and away rotations, because I would be going coming home and I would feel like I need to study for step two. And then I wouldn't be kind of paying attention and kind of reading up on the specific things that you need to in the hospital, because there's not always an exact congruence in terms of what you're studying for step two versus what you actually need to know on your specific rotations. So for me, I was able to get my dedicated time coming straight out of third year, take the exam, and then I was able to kind of completely pivot my focus in terms of, okay, now I can kind of really delve into my fourth year. I have when my surgery sub I coming up and then I have my orthopedic aways coming up too. And now that that's behind me, I can really just focus on making sure that I'm performing at the level that I need for that. Uh, Jonathan, what was your kind of strategy when it came to, to step two timing and everything like that? Yeah, I really appreciated hearing your perspective and how you went about it um, because there's really no one size fits all. Um, mine was actually pretty different than that. Um, so when I was planning out my fourth year, I was trying to like just think about all the different options of when step two should take place for me. When does it work? Um, and so something that I really noticed was that there was there wasn't as many um, available rotations for me to sign up for in July, um, which I later found out that that's because of the onboarding that's going on in July. The interns are there, so so it's it's a tough thing for for programs to have medical students there in in July when they're first training like fresh baby interns essentially. Um, so when I realized that, I was like, okay, so I I decided to plan my step two for the end of July. Um, so, so that allowed me the opportunity to get in some extra electives before that. Um, and also something that I found was really beneficial about doing it that way. Um, so was after that, um, I had a 
or so after my step two at the end of July, I had a sub internship in internal medicine and I absolutely killed it because everything was so fresh in my mind from all this review. Um, so that was definitely, I would, I would recommend considering that if you're going into something like internal medicine to, uh, to right after you, you have your board prep and you, you take your boards, take a little bit of a break and then go do in a way that you care about at, at an IM program, if that's what you're trying to do. Um, and I think that could definitely help. Um, but yeah, the, really the important thing is just to look at what, what available rotations you have to, that can possibly fit your schedule, try and accommodate step two in a way that fits well. Um, but really just keep in mind that you want to make sure your step two score report is back before ERAS is submitted. So I know our school, like they basically told everyone you have to take step two by the end of July because then you know for a fact the reports will be in when as soon as you upload your, your application, your step two score report is there. Um, so it's, it's definitely a factor that you want to make sure you don't wait too late because a lot of programs can just filter you out if you don't have a step two score there. Oh, for sure. And I think Jonathan and I are coming from a little bit of different situation than a lot of people listening to this might be in because step two, we still had it scored and everything like that. But like I said, we mentioned previously, we still had that step one score. So for us, step two was definitely an important test to take and make sure you do absolutely very well on. But there was also the component of, okay, we still had the step one scores. We have the step two scores. Uh, we really had no idea how program directors were going to start looking at the balance between the two. Um, are they still going to put a lot of weight on step one? Are they going to try to pivot and only look at step two because that's all they're going to have moving forward? Or is it going to be some hybrid of the two? So we were kind of in limbo, but I think with anything like this, the best strategy is just to give it your very best, perform at as high of a level as you can. And and then at that point, you have all your bases covered. So step two is definitely something that, that you want to make sure you're, you're preparing for. And it's definitely going to be more stressful for everybody moving forward than it was for us. Definitely. And, you know, it's it was very interesting to hear your perspective on how long you wanted to study, Matt. So mine was different. Um, honestly, I wish I'd performed better on my step one. So I knew that my step two would be really important for me. Um, so our school offers a month of kind of step private study elective, basically, so dedicated. Um, but I decided to take an extra month and just, just go absolutely as hard as I can. Um, and my score really reflected that. I was really happy with the outcome. Um, so really, you gotta, you gotta just think about what's best for you. There's, there's no one size fits all, you know? And, and now, especially with the, the, the following classes having this pass-fail step one, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a completely different monster. So just, just be honest with yourself and take that into consideration because the beauty of fourth year is it's so flexible, you know, you can really like cater it, have it cater to your needs and suit exactly what you need. Yeah, and I still think there's a lot of uncertainty coming up now with step one not having a score because at least for me, one of the standard things that you were putting in your application for away rotation is what was your score on step one? And now that's not available. So that was just a really easy initial screen for the coordinators and everybody reviewing your away rotation application to see. So now it's likely going to be more of a holistic view in terms of how they go about selecting applicants, but it's going to be tough to see, am I competitive for this particular away rotation? How do I really stack up next to everybody else? Because unfortunately, I don't think I did the, the best job of articulating this in the previous episode, but 
we mentioned that kind of January to May, you're applying for these away rotations, you're getting accepted to them, you have your fourth year all scheduled out. So that's all set by, say, May, May, June. And then you take your step two exam, kind of May, June as well. And then you're not going to get the score back for anywhere from about two weeks to about a month or so. Well, you've got your pretty much entire fourth year planned out. You've accepted away rotations. They reviewed your applications. They want to have you there. And then you get your step two score. And I know making step one pass fail was to decrease the stress on the test. But in some situations, that's actually made it a lot more stressful because there's going to be people in the situation where they wanted to go into a specific specialty, take dermatology, for example. That's what they wanted to go into. Highly competitive field. Definitely historically has looked very highly on excellent board scores as a, a determining factor for those that get accepted. And you have all your dermatology aways lined up and then you get your step score, step two score, and it's not where it needs to be when it comes to dermatology. That's a definitely a tough situation to be in. And I don't know how future students are going to go about handling that because say you still want dermatology, it's definitely a strategy to go on your away rotations, make an excellent impression, and you can earn your way in that way. But then there's also the possibility of, you know what, I don't think I'm going to be competitive for that, and in which case maybe you can apply for a research year, but you're still in the situation of maybe you have to cancel all these away rotations that you got accepted to. So I anticipate that's going to be a really difficult situation moving forward, and I don't know if there's necessarily a perfect solution for that, just based on the nature of everything going on right now. So I just I think that's going to be a really tough situation be aware of it happening, but again, just make sure you're doing your best for preparing for step two. And I think if most students are really honest with themselves, they kind of know how they're going to perform on these exams. You have all the practice tests where you can kind of get a baseline. And if you're taking the practice tests in an honest manner and you're not taking them with kind of breaks here and there, you might be looking up a question here or there on your other phone to, to do this or that. And if you're really honest with yourself and you know what, this is what my score range is and that's where I'm consistently scoring. Is that going to be where I need to be for whatever specialty I'm interested in? So definitely pay attention to that. Hopefully I articulated that a little bit better than in the previous episode, but there's definitely kind of an incongruence when it comes to the timing of applying for away rotations, getting accepted to them, and having your step score, which is definitely going to be critical for how a lot of programs filter the applicants because there's just so many applying for a limited number of spots. There has to be some way to comb through these hundreds and sometimes thousands of people interested in, in their positions. So I think that was definitely critical in terms of kind of understanding the visa application, kind of the initial dates and the timelines there and just how fluid and how program specific it is. Some get back to you in weeks, some get back to you in months. Understanding where kind of step two can fall in the thing of things. In my opinion, probably better to take it earlier, but as soon as you feel like you're going to be able to get the score that you want would be a, a really good time to, to take that. And then kind of transitioning from there, you'll be going through some of your away rotations, your sub-eyes, and then in early September, we had what was called the supple, supplemental application that was due. And the supplemental application was a relatively recent phenomenon. I don't necessarily know if it's going to be around next year or the following years, but the supplemental application was just something in addition to ERAS that gave applicants additional opportunity to explain themselves, kind of their interest in particular areas, some meaningful experience. And then I think two areas that were definitely unique for the supplemental applications was the geographic signaling, which is considering 
having a preference shown to programs which part of the country you would ideally like to be in residency for. And then, in my opinion, I think a little bit more interested than the geographic preferencing was the signaling. And signaling is definitely something that if I had to predict is here to stay, again, I'm no program director, I'm not involved in any of these decisions, <laughs> but I think it's going to be here to stay. And each specialty had a fairly unique way to go about introducing signalings and how they went about using it. So, Jonathan, from your perspective, what were your thoughts on the geographic preferencing and then kind of signaling for that? How did you find that used in kind of psychiatry and how it was applied and kind of what are your thoughts on it overall? Yeah, so the geographical preferences, I thought was an interesting aspect of the the application itself, you know? I mean, it's I mean, it it does give you you're able to to preference a few different options. So if I recall, I think there was three different like regions of the country that you can choose. Um, so I'm a Florida kid, so I chose Southeast, um, my family nor- in the Northeast, and then I did along the West Coast just because, you know, <laughs> and I, I found there was a, a good amount of programs out there that I was interested in. So I, I kind of catered it to where, I mean, I, I kind of already made my list of programs that I'm interested in. Um, and then based on that, I chose where the majority of those programs lied um, because a huge, huge factor, like the reason why they have both of these, these aspects on this application is because the, one of the most important things to a program director is how interested is this applicant in my program? Because everyone is playing this game, the programs and the applicants, where it it's they're I feel like they're just trying to convince each other how interested they are, even when that's not always the case. <laughs> um, so it's it's definitely a real thing that they want to know. The programs want to know if they rank an applicant highly, that that applicant is also going to rank them highly. I mean, they can't they can't just come out and ask. So these are multiple ways that they can try and get a better idea of that. Um, so yeah, I mean, honestly, I think. At the end of the day, you want to just answer, think about where you're going to be happiest, where the majority of programs you want to be are at, and then just put those as your geographical preference. Um, how, how did you go about the, the geography, Matt? Yeah, from myself, I definitely had the additional constraint of um, my fiance definitely had a part of the country where she was comfortable living in, and there were parts that she was not comfortable living in. So for us, we had a lot of conversations regarding not so much just the geographical preferencing, but where to apply when it came to away rotations and where we wanted to apply when it came to residency spots, which I think is somewhat unique. I think there are people who just like to apply everywhere and cover their bases and they really have no geographic preference. And then that's easy enough on that. You can just hit no geographic preference and then you can kind of move on from that. But for me, it was definitely my fiance. She works. She has parts of the country where it'd be more ideal for her to work in. Uh, she has family that she wants to be close to. So definitely we were looking more southeast, um, pretty much in terms of the geographic distribution. It was kind of like Virginia all the way down to Texas, um, then Florida, and then kind of Kentucky. And I grew up in the Midwest, so I was more willing to look at programs in the Midwest. And I can brave a, a Michigan winter <laughs> talking to my fiance about the uh, the opportunity to brave a Michigan winter was not always the most fun conversation to go through. So I don't understand why. She's from Colorado. You think she'd be able to handle the snow, but I think the Florida got to her got to her pretty good. So I think we applied to the Midwest rather selectively. We didn't end up geographically preferencing it, but I did apply to programs where I had a connection to them in terms of its 
more or less where I grew up or, or something along those lines. But I think when it came to this entire aspect, I think I had a rather unique situation compared to some people in my class where I had spent a lot of time speaking with my fiance, kind of debating here and there, realizing there's just random cities in the United States that my fiance hates. And I can will never, ever understand why she hates these cities, but they were just cities that we were not going to be able to go to. And even though it's like, but the possibility is, you know, it's very competitive and I need to apply it to as many places as possible. But honestly, at the end of the day, you want to make sure that where you are going, you've got the support system in place. And if my fiance was going to be miserable for five years, that would not be okay with me. I would feel horrible about that. And it would be also putting myself in a situation too, where I wouldn't be able to perform as well as I wanted to in the residency, because I would have all these additional distractions going on and everything like from that standpoint. So I think I put a little bit more weight on a lot of these things than some people, but I'm, I'm glad I did. And it really worked out well for me in the end. Um, excellent point. You know, everyone needs to weigh their own particular set of circumstances. And just that's, that's all you can do at the end of the day is just what's best for yourself and what's best for the people in your life. Um, so two, two things I wanted to mention while we're still on the geographical preferences. Um, so one is, it's kind of anecdotal, but I've heard different things about selecting no preference. You know, I mean, if you genuinely do have no preference, I mean, that's, that's the truth. You could be honest and, and that, that definitely makes sense. Um, I've also heard that, um, uh, that certain programs might filter like for initial interviewing rounds or initial interviewing invitations, they might filter based on certain geographical preference. Um, but again, that's, it's, it's kind of just, there, there are different, it's such a new factor. We don't, we don't really at the end of the day know how it's exactly being used. Um, so at the end of the day, I would just say, go with your gut and what you're feeling. Um, but, but keep that in mind for sure. And then additionally, I've also, um, I know quite a few people at my school that, got interview invitations outside of their geographical preferences where they applied. So so it's it's definitely not the be all end all, um, but do consider that it is another way to show your interest in a specific area, which is a factor that programs look at. Absolutely. And how did psychiatry work when it came to, to signaling? Did they have a specific number or any kind of specifications for that, or how did they integrate that, if at all? Yeah, so so each each uh, different specialty has a specific number, um, and then it's, so it, it can range widely, I believe. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the range is, um, but essentially you get a specific number and you've got to, at the end of the day, choose that specific number of programs to signal. Um, different specialties have some even tiers of signaling, which makes it even more complicated. Um, luckily, psychiatry did not have that. <laughs> um, but, you know, and then there's also an additional factor when it comes to signaling of some home institutions don't want you to signal them, whereas others do. Um, so a lot of times you can find that on their website or different ways, or you can reach out. But, um, but there are a lot of factors that you want to consider, and you don't want to waste a signal on a program that isn't really looking at those, you know, because certain pro it's, it's a newer thing, so not all programs are using them equally. Um, so you want to make sure to do your due diligence when you're choosing those signals and use them most effectively as possible. Yeah, no, that's definitely a really important point is, 
each specialty is implementing these signals in very different ways. And I think orthopedics was one that had more signals than most because we had mm -hmm. 30 total signals. Okay. So for orthopedics, you talk to people, they have different impressions of it. But just from my standpoint as an applicant and looking through it, if I were sending out 30 signals, I really didn't feel like I was going to get many interview invites outside of that because if a program did not get a signal from me, essentially I was telling them that you are not within the top 30 programs in the United States that I would like to go to. There are 30 programs above you, so if I were making my rank list today, you would not be within the top 30. And I think that is something that I think a lot of program directors would likely agree with. Again, I think there's people that look at things differently and there's a holistic view to the application and everything like that. But I think that is definitely what is communicated when an orthopedic surgery program does not receive a signal. And then, like Jonathan was saying, there's different tiers for signaling. I, I'm not a fan of that personally. I feel like that's a very weird way. If I were a program director, again, definitely not a program director, but if I were to receive that and I received a silver signal as opposed to a gold signal, I'd be like, I'm a silver signal versus a gold signal. I don't know. It just, it seems weird to me, but I think they're going to be really tracking the data on all these different approaches to signaling. And I think they'll continually refine it, refine it, refine it until it really seems to, to work well, both for the residency programs and for the applicants. Mm -hmm. And ortho is is one of the outliers that has that many signaling. I think most have like five to eight. Like it's it's definitely a lot smaller. Um, and you know, I mean, you'll still get in, ex invited to interviews of programs that you don't signal. Um, and so it's it's really one of those things that a lot of people kind of have an internal struggle with. Like, okay, do I do I signal like my dream program? Like that seems like totally out of reach, or do I signal the the like above average program that I'm pretty sure could put me over the top, you know. So I mean, it's it's really individual, and there's there's really no concrete answer yet. Unfortunately, it's kind of this nebulous thing that we're still figuring out. Um, so I think at the end of the day, you've you gotta just look inside yourself and and just trust your gut and tr and talk with the people that know you best that you care about most. Um, and this is, again, where mentorship and guidance helps a heck of a lot. It's, there's just a lot to stress out about during this time. <laughs> oh, for sure. So again, to reiterate, we're trying to tr make this uh, timeline as clear as possible. So kind of January, February to May, June, you have these low opening, applying for a ways. You can do your step. Again, it's school specific, but you're kind of looking May, June, July, typically in terms of when you might be thinking of taking step two. We just talked about the supplemental application, which is going to be early September is typically when it is due. And then we're going to go to late September now, which is when you have to submit everything for ERAS. And there's a lot that goes into that. And each section within ERAS has a different importance level depending on the specialty. And a lot of the data that's within ERAS for a specialty we've talked about is reported over in the NRMP charting outcomes of the match and understanding that data. But... Definitely late September, there's a lot of things that you have to make sure all your ducks are in a row for when it comes to letters of recommendation, when it comes to having your personal statement done, when it comes to kind of just putting your CV within the actual system itself, and then understanding and deciding which programs you're going to apply to. We're not going to touch on all of those right now. We'll get to those a little bit later on in the episode, but just in terms of understanding, kind of late September is when all that hard work and everything finally gets the, the send button on it and 
you spend a fair amount of cash depending on how many programs you're applying to and, and it goes out the door. So definitely late September you need to have start on start on your calendar. You can usually look it up to see what the exact date is, but just make sure that when you're going about planning your fourth year, when it comes to the away rotations and everything like that, late September is is the date when things need to, to be submitted by. Excellent point. And yeah, it's it's a date that you need to have in mind well ahead of time. You need to be prepared for that date. That is not a date to start the application. <laughs> um, it's it's definitely a long process and you want it to be good. And as as Matt emphasized, different programs are, are really highly cherished certain parts of that application. So for example, for me, psychiatry, they heavily weigh the personal statement. So my advisors kept telling me to start my personal statement draft early, revise it often, just figure out how to make it as ideal as possible because it's it, it can make or break your application for specific specialties, whereas others, they care a lot more about different factors. So know what you need to do and make sure it's good. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, there's a lot of things moving on at once when it comes to fourth year and nobody's schedule is exactly the same. So... For myself, I made sure that I had at least a week off in terms of between rotations and everything, just so I could make sure that everything was kind of in pristine order when it came to my ERAS application. I don't think I necessarily needed to have a full week to do that. And if you're very cognizant and very diligent and disciplined, you can kind of just make sure you're chipping away at it, making sure everything looks good. If you have any last minute publications or presentations or anything, you can add that into your application. But you definitely want to make sure you're you're kind of building towards this and it's not a scramble at the last minute. And Jonathan was mentioning for psychiatry, the personal statement is definitely weighted more heavily than some other specialties might weigh the personal statement. So in that situation, I'm not sure exactly what you did. You can talk to it, but you definitely want to reach out to some people who can help review the personal statement. And how did you go about doing that and making sure the, the personal statement was where it needed to be? Yeah, um, so that was something I was super nervous about. Um, I did quite a few drafts before I got to the idea that I actually wanted to stick with. Um, so it was it took me longer than I expected, for sure. Um, and I know a lot of my peers who also went into psych had a pretty similar experience with that. Um, and then after I went through a few versions and scrapping a few on just going by myself, um, I went, my school had somebody look at it, like Office of Student Affairs looked at it, and then I reached out to uh, our course director for psychiatry, who I was very close with. Um, he gave me a lot of great feedback that I hadn't even considered, um, because psych for me, psychiatrists are reading this, this application, so I want to make sure I have a psychiatrist look at it and see it from his perspective. Um, and then additionally, I also had, so I had established some connections with some current residents uh, that on, in programs that I rotated at. Um, and so some befriended me and were offered to take a look at my personal statement and give me some feedback. Um, and that was, I found that very, very valuable to, to be able to get that perspective from someone who just successfully went through this process. Um, so it was it was definitely a lot of great there's a lot of good avenues for feedback and you should like try and seek those out whenever you think it's a good idea. Yeah, for sure. So definitely making sure you have everything aligned when it comes to that late September date for ERAS submission, when it comes to 
making sure your personal statement is done, everything's added when it comes to your CV, uh, making sure that everything from your step exams was uploaded in there, just making sure all your bases are covered and the programs you want are selected. And ideally, you're not waiting to the exact last day to go about submitting things because I don't trust technology. So just making sure that you have a buffer of a couple days or so that in case anything does happen for whatever reason or if your applications are more expensive than your credit card limit, you got to divide it up. So mm-hmm. definitely make sure you're not scrambling to, to do anything like that at the last minute of the last hour. So just be aware of that. And we'll go a little bit more into this at a little bit later. But once ERAS has been submitted, so again, the late September date, and then interviews kind of start trickling in. Again, every specialty is a little bit different. Jonathan, how does it kind of work for, for psychiatry in terms of the timeline for, for interview dates? So my interview dates ranged really far. Um, also, so I had more interviews than most people do because honestly, I overapplied. Um, so I had a lot of interview invitations. I ended up having to turn some down. Um, but I mean, so it ranged from I think mid October up until I think my last one was the beginning of February. <laughs> so very wide range. Um, it totally just depended on the program. And yeah, it's it was interesting. What was it like with, for ortho with you? Yeah, so orthopedics, I like it. I find it very organized compared to just like the random trickle that mm-hmm. I know a lot of my friends kind of went through with their specialties. But Orthopedics has just a universal offer day when all the more or less all of them. I think there's maybe a couple of outliers that don't necessarily follow it, but a good solid 95 plus percent kind of looking at it from from my perspective participated in the universal offer day. So usually it's middle of November, which is definitely later than a lot of programs or a lot of specialties go about sending out interviews. So middle of November at noon, they kind of just start releasing them and it comes out in a flurry where more or less over the course of two hours or so, you kind of get the first wave when it comes to interview invites. And if you're ever doing in a way or during in the hospital for something like this, most people will understand that this is a pretty important date for anybody applying for orthopedics. And just make sure you're proactive, ask a week or two in advance in terms of, you know, this date is coming up between noon and two o'clock. I definitely need some flexibility to go about kind of processing all the acceptances And then for orthopedics, they have a moratorium where you're not allowed to respond to any of the interview invites for 24 hours. So you have a full 24 hours to kind of process that everything that's come in, come up with a strategy of terms of what works best for when to book them and everything like that. Because orthopedics, I think more so than most specialties, was trying to get back to in-person interviews as opposed to just doing purely virtual. I think by and large, it was still heavily virtual, but I found particularly in and a southeast Texas area, they definitely had a lot more in-person interviews than than some parts of the country. So just being aware of that, and I think this goes back to what I was talking about in the very first episode of me not trusting that Anki had all the cards that I needed to perform <laughs> well on step one. I didn't trust that all of the programs would necessarily follow the moratorium, and that was definitely the case. So even though there's technically a you cannot reserve your particular interview date for 24 hours, there was one place where I woke up the next day, hadn't been 24 hours yet, and one date was already completely booked up. So definitely make sure you get those two hours and really look at the email to see, is are they honoring the 24 hour or is it going to be more of a first come first serve basis? So that's just a little bit of heads up for anybody applying for any specialty like that. Just make sure you have all your bases covered and 
while it is really nice having that one singular day and having the 24 hours to process and plan out on your calendar everything, not every single program is going to perfectly follow that as well. But in terms of the actual interview dates, kind of some of them start picking up at the very end of November, but really the bulk of orthopedic interviews are going to be December and January. So definitely later on in the cycle. And then there's usually a couple that kind of do anywhere from early to mid-February, but kind of December and really January is where the, the bulk of the interviews are going to take place. And like I said, definitely later than a lot of specialties. I think a lot more kind of just speaking with friends are more similar to what Jonathan went through in terms of kind of you submit in September and then October, November, you kind of have some kind of tails off a little bit and then you kind of have like some January, February ones as well. So kind of look at what is unique to whatever specific specialty you're interested in applying to and just make sure you're aware of that and make sure that you're kind of have a strategy in place for getting to the interviews. If they're online, making sure you can get out of clinic or whatever you have going on at that particular time as well. Just make sure you're proactive about it. And make sure to research the normal like timeline of interviews for your specialty and then take that into consideration when you're fourth year planning um, because certain electives can be a lot more work intensive than others. Um, certain ones are totally online and they're pretty chill. Um, so you want to try and have those line up with your needs for that month. So definitely keep that in mind. For sure. So we had everything all submitted end of September. And then depending on the specialty, you're doing interviews anywhere from kind of October all the way to early February or so. And then during this timeline, too, you have all your different away rotations and then all your requirements for your home institution as well. And then February comes around, and then you have to start thinking about rank order list. And we're not going to go into this in this specific video, but kind of just make sure you have that date in mind. And then obviously March is match day where you have the most anxious days of nothing of your life if you're not on a rotation. So you're just sitting there staring and, and just kind of waiting and running through all the different scenarios in your head. So hopefully that gives a good idea of the dates. Just to reiterate again, Kind of January, February to May, June is kind of the sweet spot in terms of the ideal times where you're going to be going for, for VSLO and applying to these away rotations, organizing your fourth year schedule, and then you're kind of doing those away rotations. And then when it comes to step two, you're kind of looking May, June, July. Every school has its own unique kind of timing for that. So just make sure you're aware of, of that specific time frame. Early September, there's a supplemental application that was due for us. Again, I'm not necessarily sure if the supplemental application is going to be continued moving forward or if it's getting rolled into the ERAS application, but early September, if they're continuing it, that's when that would be. Late September, you have your official ERAS submission where you want to have everything all in line, letters of recommendation, personal statement, your CV, all uploaded there. And then again, you have the flexibility of different specialties kind of rolling with interviews October all the way to February. You have your rank list in February and then match days over in March. And again, you have these kind of skeleton of a timeline, but like we said, fourth year is very much wide open and you can schedule things as you please or not as you please necessarily, <laughs> depending on, on what's available to you. <laughs> Perfect. So now I think we got the timeline ironed out fairly well. I think we'll transition in terms of applying to away rotations again, this is mainly going to be through VSLO. There's some different application systems for some hospital systems. Um, I believe Clinician Nexus is another one that some people may be exposed to uh, when they're in medical school. But 
when you're actually looking at these away rotations and you kind of are perusing these low and or whatever specific application service you're using, I think there's just some really critical things to keep in mind. And if you have a significant other or somebody else or any family that's going to be involved within the application system and you value your input, really getting that input sooner rather than later is going to be important. Because for me, honestly, if it was just by myself, I would have probably applied everywhere, but I did have that constraint with my fiance to the Southeast. And I was very happy doing that. We had lots of productive discussions and we came up with a joint strategy in terms of where we could end up that we were both extremely, not just happy with, but excited about doing. So making sure you're involving anybody who could have any say early on is good because I think this happened to a lot of my friends when it came to, to medical school. They finally came around to, they were going through their rank order list. Some of them didn't necessarily have the discussions. And then the discussions happened when everything was more or less locked in. They'd applied to everywhere. These are the programs that they're going to be able to rank based on where they interviewed at. And it was a really, it was really tough sledding for them to go about doing that and kind of the time crunch of submitting your rank order list. So I would advise anybody Get a strategy going in terms of where you want to end up for residency, and then that translates down to your away rotations. So I think that's something that's that's really critical to consider. Jonathan, anything that you kind of picked up on other than kind of looking at the programs themselves that maybe not initially jump out to somebody who's applying to array rotations? Um, you know, I mean, I feel like you got most of the highlights, like you know, I mean, VSLOW, there's there's a lot on there, so you can really explore, see what's what's available and what you like, um, what what fits your needs. Um, you definitely want to consider the fact that there are different formats of different electives, um, so and there are different lengths as well. So I mean, I think the vast majority are four weeks, but I've seen quite a few different two week electives on there. If you need that. To, to meet certain graduation requirements. That was my case, and I found an, a quick two-week elective. Um, but, and also keep in fact that, or keep in mind that there are in-person and then there's virtual um, rotations. And I think some even some hybrid rotations as well, which is kind of a blend of both. Um, so so you definitely, there. there's a lot of stuff out there, and it's it's interesting, and honestly, I was surprised by by how much is there and how, how fun some of these opportunities are to learn and get some different exposure that you probably wouldn't have gotten elsewhere. Oh, yeah, for sure. Vizlo, like I said, while it is a monster, it's definitely an exciting opportunity because it finally feels like, okay, I'm finally going into the specialty that I wanted to go go into. I can start doing what exactly what I want to do in medicine and kind of jump from that standpoint. And then I think some other things to consider, Jonathan mentioned that most of them are four weeks. Some of them are pretty regimented when it comes to these are our dates to go into. But say you're applying and like this is the program you really want to go into. This is kind of your number one, but the dates are off by a week or two. It doesn't hurt to reach out to a coordinator or somebody at the program to see if those dates would work, especially if it's someplace that you really want to go to. Because, again, it's a really great way to make an impression. You're pretty much on a month-long interview. You're getting time in front of, ideally, some people who are making decisions about who comes into the residency program moving forward. And sometimes they even interview you on these away rotations or sub-eyes or audition rotations as well. So they're definitely critical to have, and you don't want your school schedule being off by a week compared to their school schedule to necessarily prevent you from going to a place that you really want to go to. So it doesn't hurt to just send an email to the coordinator saying, this is how my schedule works. Would it be possible to do this? 
worst case scenario, they're not flexible with that and they say no, but at least you know you gave your effort and tried to make it work for that program. But I find by and large, a lot of programs are are willing to work with you when it comes to maybe shifting by a week or two weeks to make sure that it works with your schedule because you if you're definitely interested in going there and you're showing that you want to go there and you're trying to make it work that can sometimes go a long way to kind of signaling the coordinator and people at the program that this person is really interested and they're reaching out they want to be involved in our program so we want to see this person for a full four weeks and then Another great thing to, to take into consideration when you encounter experiences like that is if a program is willing to accommodate a student like that, think about that. That seems to re- reflect well on how they most likely treat their residents. You know, so so just getting all these different exposures to, to different programs, I mean, it can really go a long way in helping your long-term view of where you're going to be happy, where you're going to be treated well. Um, so definitely take all that, take just take everything that you see and experience into consideration moving throughout your fourth year. For sure. And we already touched on it, but it doesn't hurt to reiterate when it comes to these, though. Just make sure you have your documentation and in good time. So kind of January of or February of, of your third year, make sure you're kind of getting your primary care visit to get your vaccine signature form, everything like that. Because if you're, the program that you really want to go to opens up in February and starts reviewing applications then and kind of sends out early March, well, you want to make sure you're aware of that and you have all the documentation in place to, to have a, a good opportunity to, to end up there. And most programs require specific forms, so make sure you're not just using your school's forms, but go on the website, find what they're requiring, and then get the standardized AAMC ones. Got it. And then in terms of kind of the timing of away rotation, everybody's schedule is going to be quite flexible. I'm trying to come up with just some some general skeleton of some good ideas about when to schedule these away rotations. So... If it's an area where I definitely want to do this and maybe I haven't had enough exposure to it or I'm not the most confident that I can go about kind of hit the ground running at a place I really want to go to, you can try scheduling an earlier away rotation where you can kind of get your hands into it, get involved, kind of understand the workflow of that particular service, and then you can kind of make sure you're setting yourself up for success. Maybe you wouldn't want to pick your absolute number one program first thing. You want to go somewhere where you have an opportunity to kind of develop your skills, learn everything. Obviously, you want to make a fantastic impression and potentially have a a good spot to end up at a residency at that spot, too. But you definitely want to make sure that you're kind of working up to it, because at least for myself, again, our program doesn't have a home orthopedic program. So I really wasn't necessarily kind of doing a, a full month of orthopedic surgery in my third year. So it had been a long time since I was even on my surgery rotation. So for me, it was important to kind of get in, kind of get back into the swing of things, understand the workflow of hospital and understand the workflow of that service and then kind of figure out how to be helpful. So that was definitely critical. So if you're kind of opting and that's something you're considering, you might want to schedule a rotation pretty early on in your fourth year. And uh, yeah, there. so there's obviously a lot of variety in when you might want to apply. There, there are pros and cons to different times of the year when you can do an away rotation. Um, so I actually, I did an audition rotation right in September, right before ERAS was due. Um, I did one like mid-interview season, like late November, December. Um, and then I did one... Um, right before the rank order list was due, like like mid-January to mid-February. Um, and it was interesting to see 
how like the, the pros and cons of each. Um, so for my September rotation, um, uh, that one really saved me because um, one of my letters of rec writers flaked out on me last minute and I was able to get an extra letter of recommendation. Um, so that, and it was very strong. I've got, I got feedback that it was, it was a good letter. Um, so to, to be able to kind of sneak that in right under the wire, um, it was really helpful. And also, uh, at least from my experience, I saw a lot of letter writers would kind of drag their feet, but then like when it's coming to ERAS coming in, that was when they would actually do it. So, so kind of getting, starting these relationships, people were still willing to like to do that as long as I was performing well on the away. So that, that really helped me. Um, and, and I was also able to, um, submit an extra publication just from that away rotation as well. So it, it really did help strengthen my, my application pretty significantly. Um, in the mid, in the like mid interview season audition rotation that I did, um, it was actually quite helpful because, um, so I, I was in, I was invited to get an interview there. Um, and the, it was as soon as I opened the email and tried to schedule it, it was, it was already taken. Um, and I was reaching out to the program coordinator, not having any luck. Um, and then I, I go and do my audition rotation at this program. Um, I, I'm, I'm interacting with some of the high ups in the program and I mentioned my predicament and then boom, I was, I was given an interview spot the next day. Um, so it was it was definitely very very helpful to to be there in person and and uh, and it really showed that I was someone they wanted and and vice versa. Um, and then I would say at the my towards the tail end of the application season, when I did that audition rotation, um, it was it was useful to to see. Obviously by that time I was I was pretty close to like. To uh, I mean, I was much higher functioning. I, I felt quite confident after four years of medical school, and I was pretty focused in on psych at this point. Um, so it was really, I, I felt like I, I did really well. I got a lot of great feedback. Um, and, you know, I mean, the the higher ups in the program were um, were very receptive. And, and I think it, it I left a good imprint in their minds right as they were going to submit their preference list for, for the program rankings or for, for the programs to rank their applicants. Um, so there, there are definitely pros to all of them. I think you just need to weigh your particular situation and what your current relationship with that program is to see what can suit you best. For sure. I think it's definitely timing is you can interpret the timing however you want to, and it's kind of person-specific in terms of how they're going to go about kind of strategizing around that. Uh, just from my perspective, I'll kind of go through kind of how I organize my fourth year and kind of see if that kind of sparks some things in terms of some some advice to, to provide. So like I said, in kind of May, I did my step two exam, uh, and then in June, I did my sub-I for surgery at my home program. And then I started doing the away rotation. So in July, I had my first away rotation. And I think July was just looking purely at a timing perspective. It's a tougher time because they're also bringing on all the interns to the team. And then there's a lot moving on within the program. And there's just so much attention that the senior residents and staff can have. And the priority definitely needs to be on the interns at that point and bringing them up to speed. They just brought them on and you want to make sure that you're making a good impression to them and making sure that they're comfortable doing what they need to and in, per, in performing within the program. So 
maybe that's one of the downsides of doing one a little bit earlier on, like say in say in July or so. And then similarly in June too, you can definitely make an excellent impression, but the residents really haven't switched over yet either. So if you're doing an away rotation in June, well, they're not gonna really start interviewing until later on, so you're not quite as fresh in the mind of the program. In addition, you're making impressions on say, whatever the seniors are for that particular specialty, whether it's a third year, a fifth year, or a seventh year, they're gonna be gone by the time that a lot of these decisions are being made. So just have that in mind in terms of just purely from a timing perspective, kind of when you're in more the June, July time, you're far away, you're not necessarily gonna be as fresh of mind. However, if you make an excellent impression, people are gonna remember you regardless of when you were there. Just kind of thinking, thinking out loud right now, it's definitely a little bit tougher if you're doing that a little bit earlier on. And then when you get more to kind of August, September, October, for at least for my kind of away rotation planning, that was kind of the, the wheelhouse in terms of I wanted to make sure I was performing at an extremely high level. You're getting to the point where ERAS is about to be submitted. You want to make sure you're getting excellent letters of recommendation from your away rotation because at least the way I was approaching it, it's nice to have letters of recommendation from your home program, but it's also nice to have some that support it as well. So if you're going on away rotations and people are saying fantastic things about you and it's consistent regardless of you're at your home program, you're at away rotation one, away rotation two, away rotation three, and there's that thread line of this person is just performing at a phenomenal level. They get along with the residents. They know what they're doing. That speaks a lot. And again, these networks within academics and, and medical education and training, they're a lot smaller than you think. So even if you're getting a letter of recommendation from an away rotation, you know them, you hit it off well, they have a whole network of people that they went to residency with, that they trained with in fellowship maybe, and maybe that person is gonna be the assistant program director at your number one program. So there's just such a network there, and you really, it's hard to appreciate when you're kind of in your third year and kind of looking at things, but there is a network there, and there's just so many different things to consider, and there's a lot of things that are gonna be above your head, and you might be, I wonder why I got an interview at this place. And then you kind of figure out later on, oh, this person went to medical school with the person that wrote my letter. Oh, that's pretty interesting. So just keeping open and being friendly to everybody during these rotations is critical because you never know who knows somebody else and how that can go about impacting where you end up in the future. So in terms of looking at the timeline again, so kind of August, September, October is kind of the, kind of the wheelhouse for rotations for orthopedics. Uh, one thing for... For to consider as well is Jonathan mentioned that he did a away rotation, audition rotation, kind of in the middle of interview season. And from my in my perspective, it's probably always better to do an additional rotation. You're getting more time with them. You can make a great impression. But just understand that there is a risk associated that comes with that. There are people who set up these rotations. They go in on it. Two weeks in, they get a rejection from that program in terms of, you know what, we're not going to interview you. And that can be very difficult for people to handle. It's hard to stay motivated for the remainder of the specific rotation. And then obviously you can kind of ask the program why this happened. Is there anything that I could have done to improve better? And some of them will offer you an interview despite them just rejecting you. But just from my perspective, I don't know. I just feel like in the back of my head, they really didn't want to interview me. They already told me that. I don't know how much weight I would necessarily place on matching at this place relative to a place that I got an interview of that initially. So there's so many different things to go about considering during these away rotations. But I think the bottom line is 
make sure you think this thing's through. A lot of schools have different advisors that can help you plan out your fourth year and just come up with a strategy that you are confident in. And at the end of the day, you can say, you know what? I did everything I could to match in this specialty. I did everything I could to go where I wanted to go. Anything to add to that, Jonathan? No, I think you summarized it perfectly. And, you know, I mean, it's you, you really just got to be thoughtful about it and, and plan it out and just do your best because it feels overwhelming a lot of the time. But everyone gets overwhelmed. Everyone goes through this exact same thing, and you will get through it. You just got to keep that in the back of your mind. For sure. And when you were going, and obviously you did several different audition rotations, and you made a fantastic impression because you matched at a place that you did that, how did you go about picking the programs that you were applying to for these? Um, you know, I mean, so that's one of the things was I made a kind of a grand spreadsheet based on what residency programs I'm interested in. Um, and then based on that, I was able to get kind of a rough guess on on where I think I would like rank on the top of my choices. Um, and then based on that, search them up in VSLO, see what is available in different times, um, and then just d- did my best to, to try and get as many of my top choice of potential programs, um, try and, so that way I can get a better feel for what they are and vice versa, they can get a better feel for me and really see, is this a place that I actually want to rank highly and hopefully end up at or maybe not? You know, I think that's very valuable and you got you to gotta take it into consideration. For sure. I think when I was looking at different programs, obviously I was kind of looking within this specific geographic area that my fiance and, I, fiance and I agreed upon. And then I was just looking at the programs in terms of, do I think I would be a good fit there, both in terms of kind of what I've heard about the programs and my personality versus theirs. And then also just in terms of competitiveness, I was aware of kind of where my research numbers were, where my step scores were and everything like that. And I did. A, I felt like I maybe did a little bit overboard, but I too had a master spreadsheet where I was kind of just looking at everything. And there was a program where it's like, do you think, do I, I don't know if I'll be a match here based on how much research experience I had. I would look up the interns in the class and I'd look up the second years in the class and kind of see in PubMed, is there a specific range? Am I within that range? Are they accepting people that have publications that are way, way beyond where I'm currently at? So just getting an understanding about that in terms of Sometimes there is a pattern in terms of which what programs value in terms of applicants and who match at their specific program. So definitely pay attention to that. And then also I was extremely fortunate for orthopedic surgery. They did have that ORIN, O-R-I-N database where you were looking at where you can see how many rotators there got interviews, how many rotators there ended up doing the residency there. Because I really wanted to make sure that I was getting a really good bang for my buck on these away rotations. Orthopedics is a very competitive specialty, and I really didn't want to waste one month where I could have done it somewhere else and had a better chance of matching there. So looking at programs where, you know what, they value having away rotators there. They're interviewing those away rotators, and those that they interview, they are getting matched there. So you can really understand that they value you going there, spending your time, making a great impression, and going there. And every program is a little bit different in terms of how they go about viewing away rotators. And it's not always the the easiest way to ascertain how they're going about doing it. Like I said, orthopedics was unique where you could have this database and look at it. But again, it's not the most accurate database. And there's some information in there where I look at it and say, "Mm, I don't think that's necessarily correct. But 
when you're going through that or if you have any colleagues that you've rotated with and do you know what? He went to medical school at this program I'm interested in. Is it worth doing a weight rotation there? What is your impression of the program? Really just trying to get a full understanding of a program before you commit to sending your application there, commit to doing a full month there because you really want to make sure you're going to a place where you would be happy doing your residency there. I know there's some people who have a somewhat different approach than I do. They're kind of of the impression of earlier on, maybe I want to go to an extremely, extremely prestigious place and get a letter of recommendation from somebody who is the biggest person in their field. And that's going to help set me up in terms of their application, in their, their application. And that definitely has its merits too. But for me, I was looking at programs where I wanted to make sure that I was competitive for, I felt like I would go there, I would fit in well with the program and they would develop me. And I felt like I would be able to add something to their program as well. So there's definitely a lot of things that go into it. Hopefully kind of hearing my perspective going through it helps people kind of understand that there there can be a strategy to this and there is no one size fits all strategy. Obviously I had a lot of different inputs going into that from my fiance, my family. Uh, my fiance's mother definitely had a, a geographic preference, which would be to be very, very close to where she lives. So taking all this into consideration, coming up with a strategy for away rotations, which feeds into interviews and everything like that, I think was was super important for me. And you make an excellent point about really trying to be really well thought out and conscientious of where you're applying. And, you know, I think that's very important. But also, I do think there's a point to be made that you want to, you, you aren't necessarily going to get accepted for an away rotation at every program you apply to. Um, so make sure to, I, at least the way I felt was I could always respectfully cancel certain rotations. So I applied to multiple ones when I knew I wanted to have an audition rotation during that time of year. Um, so keep in mind, you know, I mean, obviously be picky and, and really be conscientious about where you're deciding to go, but also don't necessarily limit your options. Um, if, if you think there's some that you're on the fence about, I mean, you can apply. And if you don't get the ones that you were certain you wanted to go to, go check it out. Maybe it'll surprise you. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like your advisor is a very good resource for that as well, because, Again, different specialties have different levels of competitiveness when it comes to getting these away rotations. So I think your advisor who's been familiar with these specific specialties would be somebody to go to. And similar if you have a mentor within that specific specialty area where they can say, do you know what, you might want to apply for every month, have two or you should have three places that you apply to for every month just in case something happens. So definitely want to make sure you have your, your bases covered because... I think I would be very stressed out if I wasn't actually able to meet all the requirements when it came to, to fourth year. I was still waiting to hear back from a lot of these away rotations. It would be very stressful on top of an already stressful time. So make sure you're leveraging those around you who have expertise in, in the field to make sure that you're applying to enough places where you can be comfortable and not have to scramble for something at the last minute that might not be in the specialty you're interested in. So just make sure you talk to them and, and come up with a really good approach. So I think anything else you want to add in terms of kind of just strategy for applying in terms of away rotations or? Um, I mean, so not necessarily in a way, I guess it technically would be in a way rotation, but I mean, there are certain virtual electives that literally everyone will get accepted to. Um, so, and honestly, they're pretty low stress, um, not as demanding, as, at least the, the virtual ones, you know, that, that, um, that really are a lot of people use 
to kind of buffer their schedule, still meet credits while they're at a really hectic time, be that your interview time um, or be that like you just need to fill an extra few weeks of elective credits in order to graduate. Um, So be aware that those are out there. Um, and try and use those strategically to to help lessen your burden. And, and like what Matt was saying, how he was able to take a week off and really just fine-tune his ERAS application before submitting, you want to try and act strategically like that as much as you can throughout fourth year just to maximize how productive you are and how efficiently you work. Absolutely. So I think those are some good general framework. Hopefully that's helpful for people who are kind of going in and considering where to apply for their away rotations and kind of their electives when it comes to, to fourth year. And again, I think for me, just I think the best advice I can give is just have a plan that you're comfortable with, one that you really believe in. So at the end of the day, if things don't work out, you can say, Do you know, what? I really wouldn't have changed anything. So make sure you're, you're in that really good position for that. And then shifting gears from applying to these auditions, sub-I away rotations and just shifting to how you perform on them. And that's definitely critical because you're making an impression on a program that you have thoughtfully considered, you applied to, got accepted to, and you ideally want to go there. Obviously, things can change. Sometimes programs are not necessarily what you thought they were going to be like when you're actually there day in and day out. So make sure you do have that kind of check-in point with yourself to know that, you know what, I did my research on this program. I thought it was going to be excellent. I thought I was competitive. I thought it was going to be a really good fit for myself. But now that I'm here, I I just, for whatever reason, it's not working for me. I really couldn't see myself being here for a certain period of time for my residency. So make sure you're checking in at that point. But in terms of performing on away rotations, I think it depends on the specialty. But in terms of just some good advice is just find a way to fit into the team and to be very helpful. Again, that kind of applies for third year and it just continues to apply for fourth year. But just continuing to kind of develop yourself in terms of you kind of can anticipate the needs of the team before they even know it. So if there's something that they talk about during rounds, kind of create a to-do list that you're going through. And as soon as it's done, you start chipping at that to-do list. So then you can come back and 30 minutes later and you can tell the residents that I already have these things done. They're off your plate. You don't have to deal with them. What else can I do to help you out right now? So just finding ways to be really helpful and it doesn't hurt to ask, is there anything I can help you with? But honestly, there's some there's a point where you kind of understand how things work. You really know where you can help. And sometimes people get annoyed by getting asked, is there something I can help you with? Is there something I can help you with over and over and over again? So if you kind of understand how the team works, you get up to speed really quickly because honestly, you're going to have to ask that question for your first couple of days when you're on the rotation, especially if it's a new hospital, new EMR, new workflow, new attendings who have different preferences. You have to figure out how to be helpful. And the quicker you can figure out how to be helpful, the more you can kind of impress on your away rotations and make a really good impression. I think that's one of the, the key takeaways that I had from mine, at least. Jonathan, what were your kind of key key takeaways on how to perform well during away? I agree. Um, so definitely one of the main objectives you should have as a medical student is to try and make the resident's life easier. Um, however you can do that, I mean, as long as it's safe and they'll appreciate it, be proactive, do it. I mean, and and yeah, it's. I think one of the most noticeable changes between my third year and my fourth year was just being able to know 
how I can help the team more effectively and how to proactively just get it done. Let them know, hey, I'm going to go do this. Don't worry about that. Take care of more important stuff that you got to get done and then you can get home earlier. And honestly, I mean, a resident is going to love that. You know, when when we're residents in the next, like starting in July, you know, I mean, whenever we have medical students like that, I think we're going to like them and, and rate them positively, you know. And uh, so that's definitely one big factor. Um, another huge, huge factor is just having the right attitude. I think it really goes a very long way to just be positive, to like, to be excited to learn, you know, and ask questions that are thoughtful. Don't ask just stupid questions that you can look up right afterwards, but ask like thoughtful things that maybe you've been struggling on, or maybe like, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, I'm trying to connect why we're using this medication or why this other medication, why you said that wouldn't work. And like, I know this is the mechanism, but I'm just not connecting the dots. And then like hearing, having a attending, hearing you try to think it out for yourself and like hearing your reasoning. I I've heard, I've, I've gotten really good feedback about that. Even if you're not getting to the right answer, that's not, that's not always what we're expected to do as medical students, you know? So I think you want, you want to be eager to learn you want to look things up yourself. Um, keep studying is, is definitely a good factor. You know, like always read up on your patients, um, which it that can be a challenge when you're in the thick of interview season or in the, the thick of applying. Um, but just be as proactive as you can. Keep the right attitude. Um, another huge factor, I mean, obviously, just keep all those those tips and pointers that you get when you're going into your third year starting rotations, you know, like get there on time. <laughs> that's a, that's a huge one. And if you can't, like, if there's an opportunity and you want to stand out, stay late and help with something, you know, I mean, you don't always have to leave as soon as they're like, well, if you want to go home, you can. Um, and then another aspect as well is um, something that, that I had a few different programs really like that I did and they they told me at the end that most medical students don't do that was I would go in on some extra days. Um, I would just want to maximize my exposure and try and learn as much as I can and make it known to them that that's what I'm doing, you know, and I want to help out and just be part of the team as much as I can. Um, That it really goes a long way and and, uh, it can leave a great impression. How about you, Matt? What were some of your strategies? Yeah, you definitely had some excellent points right there. And one of them really kind of just tipped my memory in terms of you're talking about the attitude that you have on the rotation. And I think that's something that is definitely underrated when it comes to medical students going on these away rotations. I know a lot of people want to make an excellent impression. And kind of the way that they kind of interpret that is the way I can make a best impression is I am going to study so hard. I am going to know more than anybody at this program. I'm going to study up. Whenever there's an opportunity to show off my knowledge, I'm going to show off my knowledge. And it's excellent to know a lot, but also it comes at the expense of you can come across as a little bit overbearing. They don't necessarily like that attitude and that approach to being around the hospital. Um, the interns who have a lot going on on their plate, if you kind of look like you're one-upping them for absolutely no reason, they don't like that. And it's definitely felt throughout the program. So making a good impression is not just being the most technically knowledgeable medical student roting, rotating through that particular hospital. A lot of it comes down to the attitude and how you actually fit in to that specific program. 
And for me, it became a running joke, and I think it became a running joke for a lot of people in our class, is when you're doing the, the interviews when it comes to, to residency, what makes your program unique? Oh, it's the people. We're a family here. And <laughs> it's always great to hear, but it is kind of funny because apparently there's like thousands of perfect resident families that are going on across the United States. But while I'm laughing at that, it's also really important to understand that they actually feel that it is a family for them. They are around them so much. Sometimes they're around these residents more than their actual families because that's how much time is actually dedicated to the training process. And they, while you are becoming a new resident in their program, in a sense, you are getting integrated into that family. And if you, they don't feel like you're going to be a good fit within that family for whatever reason, sometimes it can just be a weird feeling that they get around you. That's going to reflect poorly on you. And it's really tough for medical students to accept that. It's like, what do you mean? Like, sometimes I just give off a bad impression. Like, I'm just trying to work really hard, do my best. Really, I really want to be here. But sometimes that over-eagerness, that overbearing nature can make it feel like, you, you know what, this person really wouldn't fit into our family. Like, we hang out on weekends when we're not at the hospital. Our wives, our fiancés, our boyfriends, our girlfriends, our families get together. And this person is not going to fit into that necessarily. So... Just have that in mind because obviously everybody wants to make sure that they're showing off that, yes, we know the information that we need to. We know the medical aspects of it, but also see, can I fit into this team? And then the converse of that is true. They are a family when it comes to a residency. They have a dynamic. They hang out. They joke in certain ways. There's certain clicks and dynamics that occur within the residency itself. Can you see yourself fitting into that? Do you feel like you're forcing yourself to fit into that? And you know what? You know what? I really don't actually like kind of how this is all set up. You know, it's a great program. I like everybody that I'm working with individually, but just the group together does not fit with me for whatever reason. And it's really important that if that's the case, you have that reflection moment and understand, you know what, I do like this program, but I just don't think it was as great as I wanted it to be. As opposed to when you go in, you're being genuine, you have a positive attitude, you have the knowledge that you need to, you get along with the residents, they get along with you, they start inviting you to hang out maybe after hospital, after hours, they get to know you a little bit better. Then you can really feel like, do you know what? There's a really good fit here. I have the knowledge and information where I feel like I'm proving myself that I am dedicated to the field. I know what I'm talking about. But then there's the, do you know what? There really is a family here and I can see myself being a part of this. It wouldn't be an awkward fit. I wouldn't have to force myself into it. It's just a natural way. And I could really do this throughout my entire residency. So I think that's incredibly important to consider and I feel like it's a point that is spoken to a little bit but not is not always emphasized among medical students and I feel like a lot of people just kind of intuitively pick that up but it's not always verbalized in necessarily the best way. What are your thoughts on that? It's an excellent point. I mean it's the fit is so so important and really I mean you make a great point that really you you can't be afraid to show a little personality when you're on these rotations you know i mean first off you like i think it's it's harder in your when you're first just starting out clinical rotations but then by the time you're in your fourth year you should have a little bit more confidence and like i can't tell you how many times like the program that i ended up matching in i me and the the current residents there would laugh pretty hard at least once a day, you know, and just stuff like that, I think really goes a long way. And it, it just shows that this is somebody that I'm going to want to work besides later on down the road. Um, so I'm very thankful that I was able to show my true self to programs 
and the program that I landed in, I I feel like I fit very well. So so just don't be afraid to to be your true self. Obviously, <laughs> like keep it professional, um, but you know you you one hundred percent want to like you don't want to put on a, a false persona convince everyone that that's who you are and then match there, get there and then be someone else in the day to day. You know, you want to find the right fit for you and just be genuinely honest throughout the process. Absolutely. And I think there's just one more comment that I kind of want to make about away rotations and performing on them. And that is to treat your fellow medical students in an excellent way. And that's not just the M3s that are at the local hospital doing their M3 year, but also the people who are rotating with you for audition rotations. You may think that the residents aren't watching you, but there's always somebody that's probably going to be within earshot. And if you are rude to fellow rotators, demeaning, anything like that, you talk down to them, you're braggadocious about yourself, that can leave a really bad impression on the program that you're rotating at. And anecdotally, I know there was a fellow that I was speaking with, and there was a medical student that was rotating where he did his residency and this rotator was phenomenal, probably the best rotator that he had ever seen, knew everything and probably could have performed at the level of a second year resident within the program. The rotator was that good, but they were walking down the hall one day and that particular rotator was being extremely rude and talking down to another rotator and they did not rank that person. So it went from somebody who was a sure thing at this program was definitely going to be at the top of their rank list to not even on their rank list at all. So just make sure, again, a lot of this is just common sense, but making sure that you're being professional. If you see somebody who definitely might be struggling a little bit, a co-rotator that you're with, instead of talking down to them, go out of your way to help them, kind of teach them up a little bit. Obviously, you don't want to do it and then I'm better than you type way, but if you're genuinely trying to make them improve, make them look better, and if you make them look better and kind of have them progress kind of with your guidance and working together, that goes a long way and the residents will notice that, that you're kind of teaching them the EMR system if they haven't used that one before or kind of just how the hospital works or anything like that because that goes a long way. And as somebody who did rotations at other programs, when the home students or people that I were already familiar with the hospital took the time to get me up to speed during the first couple of days, it just made such an impression on me. It felt like they really cared about me being there and it felt like they were invested not just in the program, not just in their own application, but in kind of everything around them. So that was definitely something to consider. So just make sure you're always, somebody's always watching. So just be aware of that. It's an excellent point. And if I can kind of jump off of that point, um, I, I could not agree more. Help out your fellow medical students. Just work as a team. It really reflects well on you. Um, but even beyond that, something that is in my own personal values, um, I try to pretty much talk with the whole staff on the floor. Um, really just even if it's introducing myself and then like, so um, somebody who was a janitor on, on one of the floors I was working on, um, I saw him like periodically throughout a few weeks. And then it came to be known that we both love the same football team. Um, we started talking about that. And then like towards the end of the rotation, um, he and I were talking about that. And then without me even knowing, one of the attendings came up and just started talking with us about like the, the same, having a talk about football with us. And just stuff like that, I think it really just goes to show that you're going to treat everybody well, you know? So, so, I mean, obviously make a point to be polite, but I think just going that extra mile, especially as a medical student, when you have some extra time, 
um, it, it really bodes well for you. And it's it's fun, you know? I mean, it makes the day go better. It makes the whole atmosphere more enjoyable. So I'd highly recommend. Awesome. So now that we know that Jonathan did phenomenally on all of his audition rotations, you mentioned a little bit earlier you got a letter of recommendation from from one, one that you were performing on. And can you kind of tell us how you went about approaching getting that letter of recommendation? Because it could certainly be stressful and it's sometimes even more stressful when you're on an audition or an away rotation where you've only been there for anywhere from like two to four weeks and you need to get that letter of recommendation, that end of September deadline is approaching and you want to make sure that everything's all together. So tell mm-hmm. us how you went about getting that letter. Yeah, so so really, um, I think you kind of cater how you go about it based on your timeline and where you are, like how soon you need your letters of rec, for example. Um, so the letters of recommendation I got in my third year. Um, so for those, I pretty much made sure that I did well throughout the rotation. Um, and then getting close towards the end, I would ask for feedback on myself. If it was positive, then I would kind of naturally flow into that conversation of, well, I really respect your opinion. I know you're an established person in this field. Um, and I would really greatly appreciate it if you would be willing to write me a strong letter of recommendation. Emphasis on the strong, not just, hey, will you write me a letter, please? Um, but so, and then it, like asking them that, and if they say yes, you want to make sure to follow up on that, get that in writing, um, like with an email, um, and then kind of go from there. Um, there's there's a whole process on how to submit the letters through ERAS. I don't know if we necessarily want to get into that right now, um, but you get you want to get that to your letters writers as well. Um, so that was kind of the process for my experience with my third year rotations. Um, so, but different, for example, the rotation I did in September. Um, so I knew I needed a letter in by the end of this month. Um, so time was definitely of the essence. So pretty much as soon as I identified the person that is like was high up and I could tell we were going to get along, um, I, I stayed behind on the, the first day. Um, and I just said, like, I want to be fully honest with you. I am extremely interested in applying in psychiatry. Um, I can tell that that you know what you're doing and that, that you are an amazing teacher. And I plan to work very hard to show you that I'm going to be an excellent medical student throughout this month. Um, and I'm going to be honest with you. My objective is to perform well enough on this rotation that you feel comfortable writing me a strong letter of recommendation for my ERAS application that's coming up at the end of this month. And I'm sorry it's such no, such short notice, but I just want to be upfront about my intentions. Um, and that he responded very positively to that. Um, he he basically said, yeah, like start, I'll, I'll make sure to pay, make a note of what you're doing, how you're trying. Um, and then he had the letter in um, a, a, probably a week before it was due. And I was, I was so relieved. <laughs> um, how about you, Matt? What was your kind of um, process of getting these letters of rec? Yeah, I'll let you know, but I just kind of want to touch on what you just did there. I think that was an absolutely phenomenal approach when it comes to getting letters of recommendation. And it's certainly a stressful thing because you're putting yourself out there. There is always the possibility that they might say no. But if you know that up front and you kind of start earlier on in your actual rotation in terms of kind of setting 
the expectation that you will be asking for a letter of recommendation, it really helps because if they say no for whatever reason, well, then you kind of know that and you can kind of pivot and maybe there's somebody else in the program that you can get a letter of recommendation from. So just having that understanding, I think, is really, really important. But if they do say yes, and I think a lot of it might be a loss on medical students a little bit, but they know you're going to ask for a letter of recommendation. Like it's not a big secret. You apply to their program. You're obviously interested in it. And they know that you need letters of recommendation in your ERAS application. So the secret is out. They know it. So a lot of them understand that and they're going to be willing to write you a letter of recommendation. So that's really good. And then when you kind of talk to them earlier on and set the expectation that you're going to be asking for a letter of recommendation, it has them geared towards writing it already. They're going to start noticing you. And if there's something that you do in terms of performing on the rotation that was exceptionally well done or you did a really good job on something, they're going to make a mental note of that because they already have it in their mind that they're going to be writing a letter of recommendation for you. And if they didn't have that kind of immediate like priming when you first spoke with them, maybe they wouldn't have necessarily taken note of that or remembered that and thought to include that in your letter of recommendation at the end of the rotation. So I think that is just a spectacular way to go about asking for a letter of recommendation. And plus it also gives you the point of if you check in for feedback two weeks in and said, I know I already spoke with you about getting a letter of recommendation. I said that I was going to work extremely hard and really try to make an excellent impression on you to get that strong letter of recommendation. It's already been two weeks. Am I living up to the standards there? Or is there anything else that you want to see with me so you're comfortable writing me that strong letter of recommendation? And if they say, actually, you can work on this thing here and there, make sure you go about working on those because you have two additional weeks to continue to make that impression. And then if they say, you know what, you're really doing really fantastically, just keep up the good work. You have that reassurance that, you know what, everything I'm doing right now is paying off. It's very gratifying to feel that as a student, knowing that your hard work is actually getting recognized and valued. So having that all set up in place is absolutely phenomenal. Um, in terms of my experience, I'm not necessarily going to go into mine because I think Jonathan gave a really good example, and I really think that should be a, a good model for medical students. For me, I'm just going to kind of hit on just some of the, the key points when it comes to letters of recommendation. So one thing going into it, just make sure you know how many letters of recommendation are required by the specialty you are applying to. For me, most programs required anywhere from three to four. So I went out with the outset of, you know what, I want four letters of recommendation. I'm going to make it easy on myself. I'm not going to limit the programs I can apply to based on letter of recommendation. Additionally, look if there's a specific format for letter of recommendation that is preferred by your specialty. I don't know if it's the case for anything outside of orthopedics, but orthopedics has a standardized letter of recommendation form that they have them fill out for you where it's kind of ranking you on a scale of one to 10, where it makes it really easy for programs to kind of see how you are ranking relative to other people who are applying. And then there's also a slight narrative part at the end of it too. So I don't think that's the case for many specialties, but just be aware of it. And then some programs also require a letter of recommendation for the chairman of that specialty at your school. So this was the case for orthopedics and a lot of programs tend to, to have this. I think it's more IM kind of some mm -hmm. surgery ones as well, where just be aware of that. And then I like to create, make my life a little bit easier. I just try to like maximize the overlap on all of these specific requirements. So I'm like, I need four letters of recommendation. And so I'm going to get the one from the chairman and then I'm going to get three from the orthopedic surgeons that I'm working with. I have four and I've literally covered all of my bases when it comes to any of the program's different requirements. If they require 
no chairman's letter and four, well, I have the four letters of recommendation, one of which happens to be the chairman. If they require three, I'm going to pick the three ones that I think are strongest. So you can kind of mix and match, but just making sure you have that full cohort of letters of recommendation that could meet any requirement that these residency programs are asking you for definitely makes it a lot easier on yourself. Um, and then in terms of kind of the application itself, we talked about the supplemental application. We talked about ERAS and kind of building your resume there. But one thing I did not necessarily have a perfect heads up on, and I really wish that I did, was there's some programs that have school-specific applications that you need to be aware of. And oftentimes these are due in and around the time of ERAS submission, so end of September. But some of them are due before that, and some of them are due after that. Some of the programs, after you submit your application, they'll email you saying, hey, we have this additional school-specific application that we need you for, for you to fill out. Some of them don't do that. So if there's a program that you're interested in, make sure you're checking to see if they do have these supplemental applications because you would hate to kind of go through everything. This is one of your top programs. You went there, you want to go there, and you missed the deadline for one of the school-specific applications that they had. That happened to me for one specific program, and I was not happy with myself for doing so. So I try to pass that cautionary tale along to anybody who's applying because there's so many different things and you're juggling a lot of balls at once. So just make sure that you're not dropping anything because just having these in place is, is critical. And the same same exact experience with me for psychiatry. Um, you know, it's you you feel like you've oh, I finally had this weight off my shoulders. I have everything submitted. I am going to just take a week and be as lazy as possible. And then you immediately start getting emails like, hey, fill out our school-specific essay and, and do this and that. And then so just be expecting the fact that you're not fully done. I mean, obviously, you still have interviews and all that other stuff, but um, but you can't just completely like disconnect for a few days. You want to you wanna look into as soon as you get an email, read it and stay on top of that pretty much for your entire fourth year. Um, you know, it's, it's tough, but at least for me, I found that, so I have my, my email connected to my Apple watch. So even when I'm in the hospital, I, it like goes off and I can see it. And if it's like an interview app, an invite, for example, um, I can, I mean, I had multiple residents and attendings tell me, I totally understand this is when you need to accept those and you need to accept them as soon as possible. So, I mean, because those things, they fill up so fast that you just, you want to make sure that you don't miss out on a valuable interview spot. Um, so, so you know, you just, you want to make sure to, to stay on top of everything and especially your email throughout the entire year. Absolutely. Looking back, I can't realize how nice it is for orthopedics to just have that like one day mm -hmm. where everything goes off. Obviously, it's a very stressful day, <laughs> but it's, I think it's a little bit less stressful than every time your watch buzzes or your phone buzzes. It's like, is this an interview invite? Is this an interview invite? And, oh, or I was doing something or I was in the OR for a couple hours. I got an interview invite and then I come out and then every single spot is filled. It's like, there's nothing I could have done about that. So, and that must be really helpful for scheduling too. Cause then you, you have a good idea of what different programs are going to interview you. Whereas me, I mean, I had, I had some layover, which we'll get to in a little bit, but, but yeah, it's, it can get a little messy. So we'll, we'll walk you through that as well. Yeah, absolutely. 
And as we were talking about kind of the, I call them the supplemental, supplemental applications, probably <laughs> not the not the best name for it. But again, you can view them. Sometimes they kind of feel like they're an additional burden on top of everything you're doing. It's like, why are they asking this of me? I've already submitted my personal statement. I've submitted X, Y, and Z. They have everything they need to know about me. Why are they doing this? I think the best way is kind of just change your mindset on it a little bit. Just say, this is one more opportunity for me to differentiate myself and make a good impression on this program. So kind of make sure you're going about doing that and don't just kind of do it for the sake of doing it. Be thoughtful about it. Go on whatever residency website if there's some kind of key themes that are really resonate well with you in terms of how they go about approaching things, how they design their curriculum, how they kind of promote wellness, anything like that. Kind of see if you can integrate that in your response. And again, make sure you're being genuine to yourself. If they're talking about things that you don't necessarily value in a residency program, you don't need to talk about that for three paragraphs saying how that is the most important thing in the world to you. Be honest about it because, again, we're going to talk about this a little bit in the next episode. And Jonathan already mentioned it, and I did too. There's a fit when it comes to these programs. And you want to make sure that you're selecting the program for fit. And part of that is understanding that as much as you thought this program was going to be great, or you really want to go there, it's competitive, and I could really see myself there. Or even if it's something as this is the program that's the closest to my family, and that's what I want. If the fit isn't going to be quite there, it's not necessarily a good idea to try to force yourself in it. And that's a little bit of a teaser of what we're going to be getting into for the next episode. But again, just be honest to yourself in terms of, okay, I got to do these supplemental, supplemental applications. This is why I like the program. I'm not going to be overly blustery or anything like that. This is why I'm seriously considering your program and kind of just go on from there. But no, I definitely fell in the trap of thinking some of these are a bit of a, a burden, and I, hopefully that didn't come through in my writing style. <laughs> I mean, objectively speaking, they they are a burden to applicants, <laughs> but you know, I mean, yeah, obviously you can't make it make it seem like that. Um, a, a point I wanted to make about that the supplemental supplementals um, is like if you have a personal connection put it in there because I mean, obviously, I mean, you would think you should, but I just want to make sure everyone is aware that however you can show you're genuinely interested, you want to make that connection. Um, so for example, I had a supplemental, supplemental application um, get requested from a program um, that I actually, it was at the same hospital where I worked as a nurse assistant um, in during my gap year. Um, and so I, I made sure to put that in there and boom, immediately I sent it. They, they gave me an interview like right after that. Um, so however you can, you just want to emphasize that you want to be there, um, play up, play up personal connections. You know, I mean, like, like even throughout interviews, I made a point that if I had a family member nearby, like the fact that they're there would really help ease my transition and just, just little things like that. It, it can really go a long way for these programs. Absolutely. And I think that's a really important thing to consider when you're going through these whole applications I know for myself, I'm very uncomfortable having anybody speak super positive of, of me and I'm pretty hard on myself and I don't like to brag at all in any, in any situation at all. I think it all stems back to when I was playing hockey. I remember even when I was five years old, my parents would start cheering in the stands and I would just tell them to stop because I found it embarrassing. I did not like being cheered on. I didn't <laughs> like the praise and there's just something about it that makes me uncomfortable. And if that's you, you 
unfortunately, this is one situation where you're going to have to get over that a little bit. You have to be braggadocious, but be it in a very specific way. You don't want to just be bragging and bragging and bragging, and it's coming across as cocky. There's a very professional way to do it, where you're saying that you are qualified for this position, you have worked extremely hard, you are qualified based on academic history, research history, everything like that. And then in addition to that, I have family in the area, I have a support system in the area, so this is really important to me. And I would just be hesitant to, if you're random third cousin twice removed lives in the area i wouldn't necessarily play that one up as saying you have a really strong support system in the area if you met them one time when you were six years old but if you actually do have family in the area don't feel bad about bringing that up because i think a lot of programs actually value that and they want to make sure that you have the support system in place and a lot of them are kind of curious i think for people applying from florida and some other states that might be viewed more as a destination type state and say, I'm going to pick on Kansas for whatever reason right now, you're applying in Kansas and interviewing in Kansas, you can pretty much be assured in the back of your mind, they're thinking, how is this person from Florida going to transition over to Kansas? And if you say, my entire family is in Kansas, I lived in Kansas for a little while, this is where I want to be, that can put them at ease in terms of one, knowing that, you know what, this person could fit in and actually enjoy living here. And then it also puts them at ease in terms of, you know what, I don't think I'm just going to go to the dead bottom of their rank list. So I might rank them higher as well because they clearly want to be here and that definitely goes a long way. So again, make sure you're striking a good balance between making sure you're presenting yourself and all the accomplishments that you've done. Be humbly braggadocious if that's even a possible thing, if not a contradiction of itself, but make sure you're, you're definitely conveying that you are qualified for these positions and don't be shy of kind of, kind of tooting your own horn a little bit. Definitely. And that, that is a challenge, I think, for a lot of people, you know, and it's it's finding that good balance between confidence, but not cockiness, not arrogance. Um, and of course, you know, it's it's something that you'll figure out as you get through it, you know, just just be realistic with yourself. I think that's that's the most important advice we can give the whole time is to just listen, look at yourself in the mirror, listen to what you're saying just just be in tune with how you're acting um, and you know at the end of the day um, just do your best be proud of how far you've come and you're gonna get to that residency spot so it, there's a light at the end of the tunnel oh for sure so this is the kind of the end of this episode so hopefully we've given everybody a decent idea kind of just some general things to consider when it comes to fourth year gave you an understanding of some of the important dates that go into planning your fourth year um, the process of applying to away rotations and some of the strategy behind picking some places that you might think would be a good fit, some advice on performing on these away rotations, and that it's not just purely medical knowledge. It's also a lot of intangibles that a lot of people don't necessarily prioritize when they're on those rotations. The importance of getting quality letters of recommendation, how to go about approaching getting those letters of recommendations and making sure you're not stuck at the, the very end of the time and stressfully waiting for one to come in. And then kind of just kind of teased a little bit in terms of just understanding kind of when interview season is a little bit. And in our very next episode, we're going to be talking a little bit more about these interviews, kind of understanding what to look for in a residency and kind of setting yourself up for success and kind of picking which one is going to be the right fit for you. Anything else you want to add to, to finish this one up, Jonathan? No, I just want to thank you all for listening. Um, this is a lot of info that I wish I knew sooner in my medical school career. 
Um, so hopefully this benefits some of you guys. And thanks again for joining us, and we'll talk again soon. Awesome. Thank you.